Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Well, I'm excited for our guest today, Nick Bogner, chef and owner of Indo and Nippon Tay in St. Louis. Have you been, Zach? I'm not. I've never been to St. Louis. I've always wanted to. Um, I, I know there's been a wow. lot going on there, especially lately. I mean, him alone, he's gotten all these yeah. accolades. I'm very impressed of the pedigree oh, here. I know. Like, I'm really interested too, though, because he's one of those 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 success stories where he's been dyed in the wool with this. He grew up in a restaurant family. This is like what he. This is like what he kind yeah. of maybe always knew he was going to do, or at least maybe deep down. Yeah. This is something that like allowed him to realize that. Have you ever wished like I think about this all the time because I didn't come from a family like this, but mm-hmm. do you ever wish you grew up in like a restaurant family like that or or I think it would be really cool. I also think that it's like it, it it's kind of like in your blood then, right? Like you get to grow up around different kind different aspects of the kitchen and different aspects of the restaurant. And I actually feel like our guests this whole season so far, a lot of them have grown up in in these family in, in they started off at least in a family restaurant. Yeah, that's and it's also that can be kind of hard, just like any family business, especially in the restaurant world, where maybe you begrudgingly become like a dishwasher or a busboy over a busy weekend. Uh, you can kind of grow to resent that. Sure. It can, doesn't matter what like you could be in a family of, you know, fishermen or a family of you know, whatever the business may be. It can be tough to see yourself falling into the same line. Um, but if that's sort of where your heart lies, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I honestly, like I said, my family has nothing to do with the restaurant industry. I'm the first of my first of my kin to to jump into that line of work uh so far as yeah. i know but i think um it's interesting because like would you have wanted to grow up in a family restaurant i don't know like how that would have changed my upbringing my parents you know both worked pretty hard mm-hmm. so but like if, if it meant me seeing them in like a different light or being able to work alongside them from a younger age it might have been cool to learn stuff like that like sure but honestly at the same time i took my first restaurant job right like right before i turned 14 years old uh, at a sub shop, pizza shop. Yeah. So I feel like even though it wasn't my family's, oh, I yeah. did get to experience from a younger age. I think it would have been different if it had been like my parents or like my aunts or uncles or something like that running the show. But that is like a like a different experience when you are that young person in the back. They also, they had me like cooking food on top of cleaning and stuff like that. It wasn't just like sending me where they needed me, but... Did you, have, did you ever work at a restaurant at a young age or do you have any? No, but I did. I feel like I grew up in a chocolate store because I worked in I worked for a chocolate store for years in my like in my teens and in my 20s. And so I had a different kind of world with everybody that was high on chocolate all the time and on sugar highs. So it's just it's a very, very lot of parables between retail and hospitality. I got to say, dealing with, with the yeah, public and like that, yeah. so you understand. And it's also can be tough, too, when you're a kid. Or at least, you know, especially if you're like young, like 13, 14, but even in your teens, it can teach you a lot about yourself, uh, like being in those situations, the high stress. It's it's like the sort of thing that either pushes you to become like the first lawyer in the family when you're when they're running a restaurant or to being like, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going to I'm going to put down my own roots here and I'm going to go to culinary school or not. And I'm going to open up my own spot someday or take it over at some point. Absolutely. Well, we are looking forward to talking to Nick Bognar today, chef and owner of Indo and Nippon Tay in St. Louis. So uh, just about the industry, taking over a family business, how you've navigated the pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I'm stoked to be doing podcasts. 
I know it's always it's the new thing, right? We're really happy to have you. Yeah, welcome. Um, yeah, I did. I did. I haven't done one in maybe two years now. Probably like for when I opened Indo. So oh wow, really? exciting. Yeah, it's been a that's long a huge time curve change. I was going to say, I feel like there's like ten times as many podcast now as there was back then. So glad to have you back on the medium. You know, we're, yeah, we're happy to to be your first time back. So yeah, um, yeah awesome. so we're very excited to chat with you. Um, and from Everything I've learned about you, just like to give people kind of the rundown. Um, you run a pair of restaurants in St. Louis, including Niponte, which you literally grew up working alongside your mother in. Um, I just was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about what that was like and how has the dynamic changed to go from being the kind of the student to being the the manager to, to, to running the place? How, how have you adapted to the new roles and what has it been like for you to, because that's not an easy shift for a lot of people to make, so... I'm curious to see what yours was like. Yeah, it's actually yeah. I mean, it is it is as hard as it sounds. Um, <laughs> when you know, I literally started working at Niponte probably when I was about you know eleven or twelve, just kind of like helping out when my mom, you know, like wow. at the restaurant hanging out with my mom, and then instead of just like I don't know sitting around, I started doing little random tasks, and and then. Uh, <clears throat> you know, filling in for a dishwasher here and there. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, the first, I, I kind of remember the first time my mom gave me a 50, I think it was, you know, this was a long time ago. So it was probably like a $50 bill. And uh, I was like, whoa, this is tight. You know, I just have to wash these dishes and I get 50 bucks. And then next thing you know, I was like, hey, can I do this again next weekend? My mom's like, well, sure. You <laughs> know, family, so, you've always got the built-in bus boy, you know, it's always, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, um, so this year, my mom's restaurant, Niponte, will be 21 years old. And, uh, wow, congratulations. And now, yeah, it's amazing. And now I'm the uh, kind of the executive chef or, or, you know, sometimes we like to call it like the culinary director of sorts because I kind of bounce around between both places. Uh, but, yeah, there was a ton of trials and tribulations throughout the years. You know, I, I worked there for a little while. Um, I moved away and came back and then trying to kind of put my um, – my influence into the restaurant and how it operated after kind of learning from a lot of different places that I worked at. Um, and then kind of having that huge force of my mom to, you know, you know, agreeing on a lot of stuff, but at the same time also having just kind of your 20 year old operating habits and just kind of trying to work with that. And then, and then you have the underlying factor of being family as well. So there was like, you know, there was definitely some head butting. There was a lot of uh, pretty intense conversations and, and definitely some, you know, just straight up arguments too. And at some point um, I think we began to trust each other in a new light. And I think we work together better than we ever have. Um, after kind of coming through all that, yeah. there's so much stuff that I would give credit to my mom for showing me even before I ever worked at any of these kind of like bigger name restaurants that I wouldn't give away for anything. You know, my mom has super high standards for how to run her restaurant. And she comes from a time of when restaurants weren't, you know, we weren't doing podcasts as chefs. Nobody gave a shit about a chef being on a podcast. I'm sure <laughs> I don't even know. And, uh, you know, the only thing that she had to really make her seem like she was doing something good or, or right was just the guests that came in the door, you mm -hmm. know, and, and this was also before, you know, she had her, she, she's definitely had some magazine spots and she had some really awesome stuff, you know, here and there, but for 20 years in the grand scheme of things, there wasn't much highlighting what she was doing and there wasn't much, um, you know, I guess, uh, uh, like media coverage or whatever sure. you want to call it. And, uh, I, I think that, fundamentally I learned that when you work in a restaurant, it's about, it's about the grind. It's about enjoying 
the day to day and really making that your own and being proud of something without necessarily having like a, a James Beard award at the end of the, the tunnel, you know? And, um, I think that hope, like, luckily for me, that was instilled pretty early and I learned to have fun while just kind of like coming in in the morning and be like, what are we going to make today? And, and we have this new ingredient and let's make something fun. Uh, and let's play around with food a little bit and trying to enjoy that side of things. Um, and then slowly starting to tweak and get more serious and start to become more of a restaurant that maybe uh, uh, operated at a higher level and changed some little systematic operation stuff too over the years too. I'm curious because I actually agree. It's really interesting to see how people choose their paths in the restaurant world these days. Are you completely guided by like the thirst for fame? Do you want do you want that like Food Network shine, or or are you like going to be one of those Instagram hotspots, or are you really just concerned with like what? brings people to the table literally which is like good food good service well executed uh, do you like do you feel like your experiences so far have like kind of tailored you more towards like the traditional like okay we're going to do this right and then the intentional follow like how like what's guided your philosophy because i feel like a lot of my colleagues in the in the industry can kind of feel like even ones who know their head isn't it they couldn't care about the awards but everyone loves getting an award everyone loves getting attention like what's where do you stand right now because i know Fame is like one of those things that can get really into your head and kind of guide your decisions when it comes to just developing menus and things like that. Like it definitely fucks with your head, man, because <laughs> I definitely cook. I cook complete. I completely cook differently than I did a little while, like before Indo, especially, um, which was, which we're about almost three years old now. So, so there's kind of like a, yeah, but it, but, it, and it's received so many accolades Indo. Yeah. Which is awesome, but it definitely changes how you approach food, yeah. you know, um, because there's kind of like a, Oh, we have a whole new group of people coming into the restaurant now. And are we going to cook for them? Or are we going to cook for ourselves? Or are we going to cook for the people who have been with us t- since right. 20 years ago at Niponte? Are we going to cook for, uh, you know what I mean? And it's like, you kind of have to think about, I, I feel like I think about a lot more stuff when it comes to developing menus than just, uh, oh, what I feel like cooking now. Right. Because we aren't like this small, mm-hmm. oh, who gives a shit demographic. And it's like, oh, we don't make 10 or 12 of anything anymore. We have to make like 200. And it's a different vibe, you know? Um, I, you know, one thing that I love about our company, my mom and our partnership and, and my, you know, my whole family's involved too, but uh, also just the chefs in general and our team is that we're very food focused and we think of our place, you know, as the product, we think of the restaurants as the product and we're definitely, I, you know, I love that we're not really superficial. In fact, we talk about it a lot where now that we're a three-year-old restaurant and we've got, like you said, we've gotten these great accolades, which is amazing. But I feel like now we're on this kind of yeah. pedestal where people are coming in and they're like, okay, does this place actually rock? Or is it just another hyped up overhyped because, or, or there's also, you know, tossing around. It's like, oh, this is the on, one of the only pr- like kind of, um, contemporary Asian style restaurants in St. Louis. So is it just good because it's the only one? And right. so we dig deep to try to make sure it's like, are we working hard to make things as good as we possibly can? And we've always been like food first, which is amazing. And that's kind of digs back mm-hmm. to the part of the fundamental stuff that my mom used to tell me, totally. we're going to cook the best food that we possibly can. And then we have to serve it in the, in a, in the right way as well. And, and then obviously the place needs to look nice um, and, and feel good to be there. And I think that when we think of it, you know, priority wise, we want the place to be the product. We want the place to be kind of the, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like what you're paying for is once you come in here for us to rock and for you to have a great time and yeah. for you to enjoy every piece of food that you get. Um, and yeah. And then actually, you know, to be honest, it just kind of, 
shows us how all the other stuff just kind of follows that too. Because when people come in who are mm -hmm. critics, when people come in who are just guests or people who don't know anything about food whatsoever, they all have a great experience and that's kind of number one. And then, you know, like we always say, treat everyone like a VIP and then, and then the VIPs will always get blown away too. Um, for me, that's like the most important thing. Uh, and then when they come in, it's yeah. like proof is in the pudding. You know what I mean? Okay. It yeah. was still really good. <laughs> yeah, and that's what that keeps that keeps people coming back for more than just one. You know, they can't. It's not just a checklist thing. They're like, well, actually, like, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a big one for us too. That that right. that definitely becomes part of our menu development as well. Like, we got to bring them back. We want Absolutely. you to come back. Yeah, well, and I I want to talk to you more about that because I feel like you're talking a lot about the overall experience and how you're developing this with you, your mom, your family. Talk to us about how that all goes into play with the menus, the way that you design the space, everything that you're doing to create to create this overall, like you're immersive, you're, you're in this with us and you're going to be here and you're going to be tasting it. You're going to be seeing it. It's all around you. Yeah. So when we first started talking about concepts and, and Indo and what it was, you know, um, yeah. we start with the food, I think. And we wanted Indo to be kind of based around me as a chef, you know, we had been cooking. Um, so, so my mom's restaurant's not in the city of St. Louis. It's actually outside of the city. It's in uh, uh, West County or, or some is what it's called. So, mm -hmm. so there's a kind of a different demographic out there. And what Nippon Tei was successful as for many, many years was being this kind of sushi bar or atypical sushi bar where you get, you know, you get rolls and you get, uh, 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 you know, tempura, what you kind of expect from a, a sushi bar in the United States. Right. And when we opened opened Indo, we were like, we want this experience to be more about us and less about kind of offering something for the area. Uh, and we knew that it, on this platform uh, that we would be able to make it happen because people were already excited about it and they were excited about what I was doing at the time. So we started with the food and then we kind of let the design and stuff flow from there. So Indo, the name to me represents Indochina, which is kind of an interesting uh, way to describe most of Southeast Asia with a like kind of a light connection to Japan as well. And um, that whole region is kind of my culture and heritage. And I never really cooked super uh, uh, rustic or authentic versions of like the northern Thai food that my family did. But I had worked in Japanese restaurants for most of my actual cooking career and doing sushi for over like 15 years at the time. Um, so we wanted that to all be part of the restaurant and the concept. So from there, we just kind of really started going harder into saying it's like, okay, well, can we make the space really represent Southeast Asia? And can we also keep it in this really clean and kind of like contemporary way? And we wanted to mm -hmm. be like really nice place to get dinner and keep it focused on the food as well. So we didn't want to put too much stuff on the walls. We didn't want the, uh, we didn't want too much stuff going on because the menu itself already had so much going on with the sushi, with the uh, Thai heritage food kind of thing. And then at the time, we were actually open for lunch too, which was a way more Thai kind of style of uh, uh, menu as well. So there was a lot going on with the food, keeping everything kind of clean and then and just really just keeping things focused on uh, enjoying kind of a unique experience because we knew that this was really just based on me as a chef. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's. I mean, it's kind of what they always say in restaurants, both both building a menu and doing decor. It's not always like what you add, but also what you take away sometimes. Like, did yeah. You, yeah, there, there's like a bit of like, especially too, I feel like with like fused concepts or things that are borrowing from different experiences, like you don't want to overwhelm people with options or, or make it feel a little disjointed. But it seems like you guys have really honed in on what you what you're doing, obviously. And, and it's clearly yeah, tied to think... your heritage. I don't think you're going to see a lot of what I do 
uh, with this restaurant specifically, and we were just like, this is the this is Indo. This is this is not going to be like another. We probably wouldn't do it again. You know, it's not it's not a chain that we're going to start with Indo or something like that. We're like, this is going to be one place. We're going to make it exactly what Nick's vision is, kind of. Which, lucky for me, everybody was supportive of that. Uh, a little bit of a selfish vibe when it comes to the food because I was like, you know. Okay, we're going to make shrimp toast, which is something that I've, you know, wanted to put on a menu in a certain way for many years. But, you know, at Nippon Tei, we had all these things where we couldn't get people to stop ordering California rolls. And uh, I fucking love California <laughs> rolls, first of all. Okay, so don't, yeah. don't hit me for that. <laughs> but I'll eat a California you know, roll. I actually, every time I go over there, I yeah. eat a California roll. But We're only human. We wanted, <laughs> like you said, we wanted to keep things focused and we needed to take away to get people to order and eat what we wanted them to right so now our sushi menu at indo is literally just nigiri and then some like sashimi style dishes like crudo style or sashimi style dishes and we knew that if we put some rolls on the menu that's what people would order and we knew that if uh uh we did you know so one of our best sellers at nippon is like the crab rangoon and we make it's great we make it by from scratch you know we make it ourselves and all this stuff but if we put that on the menu it's like that's all they're gonna get so we this was kind of our first time saying like okay like all the filler Let's just do really interesting food that we love and try to, you know, and, and of course we put a little spin on everything too. And I also think we package it in a way of like, um, kind of more fine dining, which was another kind of way of us branching yeah. out as a company just too. And that a lot of that influence for me was from where I worked, you know, um, I wanted to just, and like I said, I think I just had like such a clear vision of Indo because it was the food that I liked to mm-hmm. make and what I wanted really bad for St. Louis. And then, and it, we just, you know, luckily we just kind of like made it happen that way. Yeah. So actually, so talk about where you were other than your family's restaurants, because that that sounds like it's really factoring into your decisions and like how you build your menus and the experience of the restaurant overall. Like, like you're, it sounds like you're incorporating some fine dining tactics being like, okay, of course people want crab rangoon, but I'm not going to put that on the menu because that's going to steal the limelight from something that I've developed myself. Mm-hmm. So what, like what, what were your experiences like and kind of walk us through what we're going back, I guess a little yeah. bit to the beginning of the conversation, but it's, it's important I think to, to where you are now. Well, my first, so, so I worked at some places in St. Louis too, but my, I always talk about my experience at Uchiko mm-hmm. with uh, uh, all those guys in Austin. And yeah. there was, you know, at the time Paul Key had already moved on, but you know, I saw him on Top Chef and I, my friend moved to Austin and I was like, man, I want to work at this restaurant so bad. And he's like, he was a server at the time. He's actually a chef now. But uh, oh, wow. <laughs> he was like, dude, you got to work at this restaurant. Like everybody's so brilliant and like everybody's so badass. And um, my experience there was just super eye opening. Like I didn't spend much time there, to be honest, but like it opened my mind up so quickly, like of what's possible with food and also just such a well-run restaurant and company now. And I mean, they're, they're expanding like crazy. This but, was like um, your foreign exchange or your, your semester really just, abroad kind of experience. Like you finally get to leave. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. Yeah. Because I had worked for my entire life in restaurants and I just saw what was beyond like your family style restaurant, you know? And it was like, wow, okay, this place can make 50 grand a night, you know, like, yeah. whoa, okay. How do they even do that? Yeah. yeah. And like their food costing model is nothing like what we do. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They use the best stuff and yeah. they charge you for it. And that was like, whoa, you know what I mean? And so I started to understand. But then one of the things that I always took back from uh, Uchiko was that also, you know, they, they, they didn't have a problem kind of breaking the boundaries of like a cuisine. And so there was a lot of um, what I loved was like, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why they wanted me to work there too when I first got the job was like sashimi and like Japanese techniques done perfectly and then 
kind of finally getting to the point where you're going to start to use flavors outside of the Japanese cuisine and, and start to use like Southeast Asian flavors. And I was like really blown away by like these really awesome sashimi dishes with all the flavors of Thailand. And I was trying these dishes and, you know, they weren't necessarily Thai people making these things. And I was like, whoa, this is like the most Thai thing I've eaten besides my family's food. And it's at this fine dining Japanese restaurant. And that connection kind of just already started kind of like sprouting these seeds in my mind about what, what wow. the food could be. And uh, I spent most of my time there just really trying to hone in really proper sushi skills and proper cooking skills too. Cause they had quite a bit of people learn. And, you know, I learned from not exactly the restaurant. easiest thing to jump into and you know, like a uh, apprenticeship wise. Yeah. It's definitely one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. an intense restaurant to work at, but I mean, in, in the amount of time I spent there, I feel like I, I, you know, I got a, you know, like you said, like a master's degree in cooking. Cause it was just every day it was go hard and every day it was like, do the best that you possibly can. And they were definitely into pushing you as, as, as hard as they could too. And yeah. I'm thankful for the time that I spent there uh, to kind of show me how much, uh, a person can actually accomplish when they put their mind to something too, which that was is, which yeah. was cool. And that's all. The- I feel like you took some of that and with then- you though, because I feel like I I thought oh, I yeah. read somewhere that you also did like the t- you do a tasting experience as well at your restaurant where it's like all it's mostly sashimi and you're making it right in front of the customer, which I think is just so cool. Yeah, we have a. Yeah, we have a sushi bar, like a small sushi bar, but it's a little more intimate than your typical like sushi yeah. bar. Uh, and we're really right there with the guests. And for for most of the time Indo was open, we were doing a, a tasting menu at that counter during service. And it would be like me making food, like tasting one at a time for all the people at the counter. We've actually postponed that now. We're going to bring it back in a different way. Uh, but uh, it's it's probably like my favorite way to cook for people because yeah. as a sushi chef – you know, once you can kind of overcome that, like working in front of people right. thing, it's like, now you just, yeah, yeah. I mean, after you get to that point, it's like, now you just, that's all you want to do because it's like, why work in the back when you can like have a conversation and have some fun, uh, and, and kind of the excitement of like, who's coming in next, you know, yeah. it's, it's like being a session guitarist person? and transitioning into the arenas, you know, you finally get to get the reaction, the instant feedback from the people you're feeding. Trust 20 is a proud sponsor of the So You Want to Run a Restaurant podcast. Trust 20's ANSI accredited food handler certificate training is the freshest course on the market and made with the worker in mind. It's interactive, entertaining, and the test at the end is even gamified. Yes, you heard that right. Get your new team members up to speed on food safety in no time. Today, right now, this second, you got to do it. Trust 20 Food Handler Certificate Training is available for individual and group purchases. Head to their site, trust20.co, again, that's trust20.co, and sign up for the newsletter to stay up to date, because Trust 20 will also be launching a food allergy certificate training this spring. Get your team a certificate today. It is, it is cool. And I always talk about like at a sushi bar is probably one of the only places depending on, you know, there's a lot more chef's table type joints now, but, um, with a sushi chef, you know, you can build a relationship with that person. And, uh, if I get to know you, like, you know, if Claudia eats at the restaurant all the time and I'm like, yo, Claudia loves Toro, Claudia loves like the fatty rich foods. And then if I, I you know, by the third time you come in, I might, I would be like, yo, I'm going to make you this thing. Yeah. Because now when I think of you, I think of this dish that I've been kind of playing around with or this ingredient that I know you would love and maybe you've never had it before. And that's kind of like the only time you can get that connection and it's only going to happen once and I'm going to make it right now and then it's done. It's gone forever. And it's like that experience happens at the sushi bar like 
you know, if I can make that happen like six times for your dinner on like a normal dinner or during a tasting like 12 times or something, then it's like, that's an awesome thing. And that's like a connection between chef and patron. And like, it's just awesome, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, I know oh, so-and-so yeah. is coming in. So I'm going to make this, you know? That's kind of exactly. the connection I think a lot of people hope for when they get into the industry. It's like they want yeah. to feel that with someone. And obviously through COVID in the last few years, it's been a lot harder to see people face to face and those kinds right. of experiences. But even just in general, so much of it is expecting people to be kind of like in everyone's face all the time. So it's, I think, pretty unique that you and it's it's unique that you're you're still finding that this is where you're getting a lot of your enjoyment from working is is, is playing to people's personal likes and being able to kind of like sit down and do this for them on a very intimate yeah, level. Yeah, we always so, joke around, cool. like, if you sit at the counter, Nick's going to give you free food. So, like, somebody's, <laughs> like, table's taking too long or something. They're like, well, you guys could just sit at the yeah. counter because <laughs> Nick will give you free food. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. Right, right. Well, but that actually That's, that's up- how bartenders feel when they've got people crowding yeah, in the bar. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that, that actually segues into a good topic, though, because what I'm curious how it was during the pandemic for you all and how you're now coming out of it in this new normal, because we're talking about the intimacy of this of the sushi bar and how the restaurant itself, and it's all part of this experience and how you interact with the guests. How has the last couple of years been for you and how are you coming out of it now? Uh, you know, I think that at now I'm really good at kind of dealing with my own anxiety so that's kind of a plus uh because i <laughs> i you know i don't know i mean there was some definitely moments there where i did not know what was going to happen and i did not you know there was yeah. probably a full year where we didn't yeah. know what the best decision was for for anyone and we just kind of you know and that's another thing that i have to give to my parents and my 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 partner you know my parents are my partners but like when it comes down to it it's like we I'm, I'm proud to say that we always put our people first and we always put the livelihoods of our people first. So when it came down to like making decisions, we were just like, okay, what's best for our staff and what's best for that. And part of that is also just saying like, okay, what's financially viable for the restaurant. But part of that is also like, are we going to get people sick? You know, and and we didn't want to bring, um, you know, 20 people into the same room every day. So like, you know, there was a lot of little pivots and crazy shit that we did. Uh, so like, you know, the first thing we did was we went to, to go only, and we had a couple people working at a time and we worked in shifts and, uh, we tried to stay open a little longer Mm -hmm. so that people could just be, you know, in a way we were thinking like, okay, let's just make a bunch of our food available for people because a lot of stuff is closing down. People still need to eat too. Right. So we made it so like, okay, any of our staff members could come in and grab family meal for free, uh, and grab food. And then we, worked in shifts so everybody got their hourly for a few hours a day and it definitely brought down like you know kind of what we needed to output for for our own like labor costs and stuff but also um just kind of like getting people together in a safe way and kind of just getting food out the door uh to people who wanted to eat you know what i mean and it was a good so we we switched the menu to basically our lunch menu all day and it was a lot more casual. It definitely more oh. takeout friendly. So we did like we do these chili garlic noodles. We did cow soy. I was gonna say like, what was was there challenges in kind of converting this into an offsite only thing? Because you're going from you know personalized tasting menu experience right. here to to like package yeah, to go. Like, that, that can luckily be tough. for us, like we were already kind of used to the lunch system. And uh, we just kind of transferred the lunch system into being to go and then curbside. So people would pull up on the on the front door and we would just bring them out their food. You know, we had somebody walking food. We had somebody taking orders in the back. We had somebody putting the bags together and then a couple cooks in the back. And the lunch menu was pretty consolidated. So we were able to kind of make it happen 
Um, but yeah, not without trials and tribulations, like, you know, third, third day and things start getting hyped and there's a huge line of cars out and you're like realizing like, Oh shit, like it takes a little longer to like do this. And you know, so-and-so's car is five back and Oh wait, where's this other guy parked and all these crazy things. And like, there's literally a traffic jam happening in front of the restaurant, yeah. which I saw a lot of restaurants had a lot worse than us. You know, they were like getting cops to come direct traffic in front of their restaurant. Um, Wow. A big part of another part, it's getting yeah, real serious. I mean, another part was hard was just, you know, kind of seeing like the, you know, we were super grateful for the amount of guests that came to eat our curbside right when the shutdown happened. Cause it kept us going, you know, we made a good amount of money. Um, but then it was like gone one day, you know, and we're like, what the f like, Oh my God, we only did, you know, we only did a thousand bucks and we're used to, you know, you could do, you could do 8,000 or something like that. And it's like, that's a crazy difference yeah. in numbers. Yeah. And you know, you're going like up and down like this and you're like, okay, I don't know how to kind of navigate this. Um, Talk about managing your anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're just you know, like, we were literally, I mean, I was back here playing, we were like and playing board games and shit one day, you know? And I was just like, let's just try to, I'm going to make food for everyone. And like, but uh i bought i bought guess who for my staff i didn't realize that this would be a game that people in their 30s could play so a, that's a good fun yeah, and yeah. it was a good one because you could step away from it and come exactly, back to it and yeah. it was, you wouldn't forget that's, that's smart so. too but yeah it's just like weird <laughs> and it was kind of and then also too it just you know i mean you probably know this too but it became this whole what's the next thing hyped on instagram what's the next hyped curbside yeah. thing here in st louis you know there was a million pizza pop-ups and there was a million pizza pop-ups coming out of people's houses, like chefs that maybe got uh, let go, and then they started their own pop-up and stuff like that. Right. And we just wanted to be like a place where you could always get food, right? So that's kind of was the idea until we furloughed everyone. Things just started to get more intense, and uh, we tried to get it like to what we thought was the peak, you know. And now in hindsight, we weren't even fucking close to yeah. the peak, but <laughs> yeah, we thought that's like okay, let's close for a while what we can close for and hopefully nobody will get sick. Mm -hmm. And luckily, like actually the first person to get COVID didn't get COVID until we were getting ready to reopen. Oh. Uh, so for two months, everybody was safe and sound and not at work. And it was during quarantine. So everybody was just kind of moseying around and, and luckily, uh, you know, most of my people got through the unemployment, you know, in St. Louis, unemployment problems weren't as bad as the bigger cities, you know, they weren't yeah. completely drowned. So everybody was doing okay. And then when we were getting ready to reopen, you know, we were like, how are we going to do this too? So, well, eventually, so that, was actually, that was my next question was, is there your experiences with this? It's like, we we're now that we're, we're not normal yet, but we're clearly moving towards that. Hopefully do you, is there anything that happened then? Like, obviously you're going to put things back together in a different way. Once the, once everything is like really, really back in full swing, Has, is there anything you already know you're going to keep around or any kind of operational changes, menu changes or whatever changes that, that kind of came about because of it? Well, actually, you know, to be honest, instead of kind of keeping some of the stuff that we did during the pandemic, we, we almost had like a, like a epiphany of saying like, we want to go back to what we want to try to get back to what Indo was like, what is the definition of Indo? Mm -hmm. And we already decided we're like, right. Indo is a fine dining restaurant. It's about the full experience. You know, it's part of it is coming in to eat. Part of it is being here too. So not just to go, uh, but we ran to goes for a long time. Uh, and we actually just recently stopped because we have, you know, enough seats again, because we actually built this whole new kind of patio area that's like covered. So even if it's <laughs> raining or snowing, like people can still sit out there, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, See, that's a good change, though, yeah, right? Because like, I think now people cool are embracing, like, wow, 
It's like we're in Europe. We can sit outside. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. <laughs> when it's raining out there and like you're I mean, sitting out there, permitting. I think it's tight. Like personally, I'm like, when are you ever going to, when are you, yeah, like when are you going to eat outside in like this like kind of beautiful, quiet, like rainstorm thing? I think it's cool. But right? some days when it blows hard, it's like, yeah, but, uh, like, yeah. I was I'm, I'm a New Englander. There are there are lines to it. I mean, the yeah. twenty below weather doesn't make the food taste you know that much better. But it is. It's it's interesting to see that that's like the sort of chain takeaway we have. It's like eating outside not out of necessity, but because you choose to can be like can enhance the meal yeah. in a way. Well, yeah, for sure. But that that is something. That's a change. That yeah, counts, we had right? the change of the patio, so now our seating inside or our seating in general is is bigger than what it used to be, which is great because we don't pack them in the inside of the restaurant like we used to either. We spread out the tables. Um, which is nice because my restaurant's not very big. We used to have about 38 seats inside and, uh, you know, now we're sitting at like, uh, uh, over 40, closer to 50 with the entire place. So it runs pretty well as far as that. So then we actually stopped doing to goes just recently because, you know, we can kind of just focus on the in-house diners, which is what we wanted it to be like that, that, like I said, the definition of Indo being like, we go for high quality and we try to make it as good as it can. And and you don't want to eat like to go sushi. It's not the same, you know? No. So we're trying to get away from that. And it's also too, it's like your kitchen, it's like, you're trying to provide that experience for people in house, but those to go orders are still tickets Yeah. and people are still going to be wanting, you know, that that's going to take a labor out of your kitchen to Mm -hmm. to match that. And you want to make sure that even though it's to go, it's still got to be good. And, and, there's a lot of focus being split a bunch of different ways if that's not what you're into doing. Yeah, like I said, we just weren't hitting the to-go. I just don't think we were, like, ever looked at as, like, this place, like, oh, I'm going to grab to-go from Indo. You know, it right. was up, like I said, it was right. just, like, up and down. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I think people think first here in St. Louis, are like, I'm just going to grab a pizza or I'm going to grab thing. And at Nipponte, they get to-go sushi, and we still do to-go sushi, but it's primarily maki, so it's, prim- uh, you know, sushi rolls hmm. for the most part. And that stuff just holds it just holds up better. Yeah. You know, I don't want to make you, like, this $18 piece of nigiri and then it gets home and it's like, what is it? This isn't even worth it. You know what I mean? It's kind of not, you know, and, and even at the restaurant, yeah. if something's sitting in the window and nobody runs it out, like we used to have really high standards for that. Like, yo, this needs to go like now. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a reason for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you forget, I think during the pandemic, you start to forget, like, you know, you go to this restaurant where you used to love something and you're like, oh yeah, it's good. You know? And then it's like, you forget how good it was inside, right when it got ordered, right when they put it at your table. And that's a big part of dining for me. And yeah, I love plates and I love ceramics except yeah exactly plating but also the sound being able to see you standing behind the the sushi bar there you know like that doesn't that all factors in i think that's like the big takeaway from post-pandemic stuff is like i love the taste of this food but i like the experience of it too and i and i and i feel like that sounds like something you're very invested in because that was that was a big part of our like i said definition of this restaurant like we wanted to get people eating here, whether it was going to be very graciously spaced or out. You know, at, at, when we first started bringing people back to the restaurant, we did outside only. It was like good weather, good patio. So we just served people out there. Right. And at one point too, after we brought people back, we actually changed the whole, and to kind of promote the to-go food at the time, we changed the whole menu to this new, like uh, we called it Indo street food. Hmm. So I just kind of did a bunch of dishes from Thailand that I like to graze on. And I thought, you know, oh, this is something that I could put in like a little plastic bag. And it's actually really fun. And it's good. Like skewers in a bag. That's like a big thing from Thailand that I always miss. Like there's like fish caramel all over it. You kind of like dip it in this bag. And then we made soup and we made noodles, you know, and that was awesome. I even, we did a pop-up one day where I was making pad thai on like a turkey fryer (laughs) in the back patio. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like you're doing your own pop-up, which is awesome. That's like, that's fun. It's going to be creatively fun too. 
became this thing like, okay, people were looking for what's going to be cool on Instagram today, and they're going to show up for whatever we do. I even made a fucking burger. I never sold a burger in my life, first of all. Uh, <laughs> I feel like so everybody got into the burger We did this burger, burger thing. We sold like 200. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It was a good burger. So we did like a katsu wagyu fat burger. Oh, that, that was sounds awesome. awesome. That sounds incredible. Um, That's yeah, it was well, super good. Yeah, like Because the katsu crust just like holds this wagyu fat. And yeah. Then it just, like, it's kind of dangerous, to be honest. Sounds unreal, <laughs> honestly. So, you know, we just dug deep and did everything we could to keep ourselves relevant and just say like, yo, like, oh, Indo's still creative and they still do cool stuff, even though they're not doing what they used to do. Like, this is worth me going to get curbside and this is worth me showing up to their patio. Uh, and the street, menu, the street food menu was super fun. Like, we did a lot of cool shit. Um, and then we we're like, but... <laughs> now that we can bring people back, we want to get back to what Indo really was. And now that we're running our own menu, you know, in hindsight, it's like, okay, this really brought us some humility and really said, oh yeah, like we're super thankful to be able to do what mm -hmm. we do again, yeah. you know, and I'm super thankful to be back to this point where we're like, we have guests, I'm saying hello to them and I'm serving them food like directly from the station. And it's just awesome to yeah. be back there. Um, so it's definitely put things in full circle. Do if you, we did have some big heads, you know, COVID definitely yeah. annihilated those. So. Well, I was going to say, do you feel like there's like a lot of this, as I've talked to people in the industry, it's like, do you feel like this has improved your relationship or your attitudes towards the industry? Or do you feel like it's strained it? Like, I, it's obviously there's a bit of give and take in that, but I'm just curious to think, because it sounds like you have, like, it's, a, it's given us all the kind of the perspective to, to reassess. And I'm just curious to what you think about how you experience everything. Give and take for sure. Um, yeah. I think that at one point, you know, you're at your lowest lows and you're like, I, I don't know if we can, you know, what's going to happen. And then, you know, obviously I think the worst part of that is just financial instability. And that sucks because for me, I liked, like I told you earlier, you know, it's like, I like to work at the restaurant. I like to, to, to do the day to day in a way. And, uh, I'm, I feel happy to, to cook something and create, you know? So I always kind of put financial shit on my, on the back burner in probably not a good way, but, um, <laughs> I just want to like make food yeah. for people. So in once it comes full circle, it's like, fuck yeah, dude, like I'm thankful to be able to come back yeah. to this, you know? And, uh, I, th I remember at one point, like it was like not good. It was during quarantine. So we weren't working and that was definitely weird for me. Um, and, uh, I was just like, you know what? Like, fuck, uh, everything that we've done in the first couple years, like, I'm just going to go back to old Nick mode back at Niponte. You know, when I first went back, moved back to St. Louis, I went back and I started working at my mom's restaurant where I would work when I used to work when I was like 15 years old. So it was like, I, I couldn't think of that as like this, like retrograde, like this isn't me moving back. You know, this isn't me going back to what I was when I was a kid. This is me a new, you know, I'm at the, I may be in the same place, but I'm like, I'm going to attack this totally different. I'm going to make it as good as I possibly can. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make it happen. So whenever that was going on at Indo, at one point that's, you know, and that kind of sparked the street food thing and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to do whatever I can to just, uh, make a bad situation into a good one. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about what the pandemic kind of has caused, you know, and obviously sucks for a lot of people. And I also recognize that not anybody, not everyone is in this position to do this, but I love the fact that we've really changed the way we uh, pay people mm. and the way that we take care of our people too. Yeah. Uh, because we, we, during curbside, you know, we all, we started this service charge because we needed to cover salaries. Basically we need to cover people's pay and uh, we just kept it. Yeah. And we said, tipping like you know you can tip if you want 
uh, and that's totally on you. Uh, but now what we do is we do a 20% service charge. We pay every single person uh, hourly, mm. and uh, we split it between the entire staff. Yeah. Uh, so the entire staff is paid, you know, way better than like, or I mean, mainly the back of house actually. So I guess that's, that's true. But like the back of house staff is getting paid way better than they used to be. The team kind of, or like the team oriented vibes of the restaurant are just way better than they used to be. And, uh, I got people with health insurance and benefits and they're, they have a living wage, you know? And it's like, that's something that I don't know if we would have ever done, you know, and I'm happy to, just hopefully, you know, I, we're like I said, we're lucky to be able to do that because I think people want to eat at our restaurant, and I'm hoping that more people will follow suit. I see restaurants kind of across the country changing that system yeah. too. So I mean, I think it's awesome. I was going to say, I feel like so many people have changed this system, and they've really taken a look at staffing and employee retention and company culture and the environment. So I think it's great that you're doing that. So I guess one, yeah, arguably, arguably one of the most important things that probably came of the entire pandemic. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it's the most important yeah. thing yeah. because you got, you know, we're, you know, our stuff is obviously way more expensive than it used to be. I think everybody kind of understands that now. I, I, at least hopefully more people are starting to understand that, but everything's more expensive. Um, like you said, employee retention, getting people to even want to work in a restaurant in general. So our model is like, we're going to charge what's required to have the best mm-hmm. service and the best food and the best ingredients. Um, and that's just mm-hmm. a new standard. Yeah. Um, so I guess knowing that then, I feel like you've kind of already answered this, but then what's, what, what does the future hold for you, for the restaurant? What are, give us, give us a little peek here. Obviously we're looking to do some cool new stuff. We're always, you know, I think we have a, we, you know, we kind of do this, uh, we call it, you know, it's called Kaizen. It's a Japanese philosophy towards just like small improvements over time. And, uh, you know, okay. I would definitely give a lot of credit to that mentality as far as our company and especially with my parents you know over the amount of time that we've spent doing this um so we're always looking to do as well as we can that day you know so i i definitely see us doing uh more cool new concepts hopefully keeping things Mm -hmm. creative and uh not over over zealous uh expansion that causes us to lose our our kind of our uh our fundamental like ethics and authenticity. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't want to pay my people less so that we can have another location. I would rather us have two locations that are amazing and our people who work there just awesome and and happy and looking in more of a longevity kind of situation for their career and staying with us. And then those places just being as good as they possibly can be. And if it allows for us to do something new, then that's great. Uh, And if it doesn't, then I, you know, I feel like we're pretty content with our day to day these days. Days, you know, um, yeah. but you know, I would definitely look for us to do some new stuff. I, I don't see us uh, just staying the same forever. Yeah. Well, I look forward to trying cool. it in the future. I can't wait. I want to be there right at the sushi bar trying everything that you make. Yeah. So I know, I know. So do I. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to take a trip to St. Louis. Zach. Yes, absolutely. If you do come out, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we let you go here, we have a rapid fire round that we call the tasting menu that we're doing for season two, where we ask you three quick questions and the first one that comes to mind. So going to kick it off. First question, favorite thing to cook? Uh, fish. <laughs> <laughs> or not cook. <laughs> or not cook. Yeah, I like right? too. Yeah. <laughs> Food that you one. crave the most after a long shift. Oh, that's easy. It's pizza. Pizza is my favorite food. Oh, man. I... <laughs> 
I thought you were going to say California roll just to throw a curveball oh, in there. <laughs> I do like Cal. I, I crave California rolls. I really do. But I mean, shh, I love pizza, especially like all. I love all types of pizza. We're famous for a really yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you got to come here. visit New York. I got some places to take you. Come come visit Manhattan. I'm going to take you to the oh, best spots be awesome. in New York. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I feel like we even have the New York sirens going on in the background here to make us really feel like we're we're in New York. Yeah, that's, that's authentic. Right. Yeah. That was, that's I authentic. That. Yeah. Well, I was in New York. Yeah. I was waking up yeah. early, man, because I couldn't sleep. It's quiet in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And last question: technology. You technology in your restaurant that you absolutely cannot live without. Um. Hmm. Definitely my uh, my POS system. I guess. That's, is that too obvious? Yeah. <laughs> I need the point of sale. No, you know? that's a fair answer. Some people I hate mean, theirs. There's you know? so much that goes into that, too. It's like inventory yeah. like and it. just, you know, like the way we cost everything goes through there. And it's, we have to. So be you're able using to it, it that robustly. It's not just a way to punch no, in order. I mean, you're like with actually all organizing that stuff, we exactly. have to see the real numbers behind all that because you can weigh something as much right. as you want, but you never, you know, there's a little bit of extra waste here and there. And, we're always trying food and we're always trying to give away some stuff to customers too. So I, I prefer to cost uh, uh, with that in mind as well. So the POS definitely helps me with that a lot. Yeah. You know, if you can kind of keep that stuff up to date, it definitely makes my job easier because personally, I yeah. fucking hate doing all that shit. I hate inventory. I was going to say, it's a, it's a good way to get chefs or people like who are on the line and stuff like that to understand numbers because the spreadsheet just doesn't speak to me yeah, either. I mean, I, t- I know it's like, it's not, that's not going to exactly, work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. This was this was awesome. It was so great to talk to you and appreciate appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. It was really a, a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, eat.news. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms.